Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, March 25th, and this is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander with me. Sam Bassini had a late night last night in Anaheim at the games. He's sleeping beauty, so it's a two-man podcast today, and half of the Elite Eight is set. We're going to set the other half tonight, and hopefully Friday's games will be better uh, than Thursday's games because last night's games were boring. Four double-digit wins for the four favored teams. Villanova killed Miami. Kansas killed Maryland, Oklahoma killed Texas A&M, Oregon killed Duke. So it's uh, number one versus number two in the South. It's number one versus number two in the West. And we're going to talk about these things in a moment. And we'll look at Friday night's games too. But first things first, Grayson Allen and Dylan Brooks shared a moment last night. Coach K used it as an opportunity to teach life lessons. Basically, here's the deal. So Oregon uh, had the game in hand. Dylan Brooks pulled up from three. He made it. He celebrated. And then at the buzzer, uh, great, uh, he tried to... Look like hug Grayson Allen or um, just, uh, I don't know, interact with whatever. Whatever basketball players do at the end of the game, right? But Grayson Allen wasn't having any of it. He didn't shove him, but he just ignored him, didn't acknowledge him. And then afterward in the uh, handshake line, uh, Coach K, uh, according to the television evidence and what Dylan Brooks actually said afterward, you know, took it as a moment to say, hey, you're too good of a player to be acting like that. Don't act like that. And Dylan Brooks said, I'm sorry, Coach. I'm sorry. And uh, and then they all went on their merry way. Norlander, I'll ask you, um, anybody wrong here? Everybody wrong here. Uh, is Dylan Brooks wrong to take the shot and celebrate? Is Grayson Allen wrong to ignore him? Is Coach K wrong to lecture an opposing player? Make sense of this for me. Yeah, well, I will say we're probably only talking about this because the games themselves were not that compelling. And so at the very end, this is the one thing that people can glom onto. It's Duke. It's Duke losing. Grayson Allen is involved. And you got Mike Krzyzewski going, uh, going leader in the handshake line on Dylan Brooks. So I think it's a, a perfect combination of people to have some, uh, I don't know, genuine outrage or faux outrage. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I knew this would be a thing the second I, th- I saw it, man. I, I just, I, I knew it. Um, and it would, I don't know what Dylan Brooks was trying to do with Grayson Allen. He was trying to like, it looked like an awkward seventh grade dance, basically. <laughs> uh, I've been there, Dylan Brooks. Um, Krzyzewski, there have been a few, a few angles. Krzyzewski definitely, he's got this uh, demeanor to him where, you know, he wasn't thrilled with the three-pointer. Now, Brooks said Altman said to shoot it. It's one of those things, GP, we see it in a lot of games that are blowouts. Like, the final 30 seconds sometimes have this weird thing where, like, the team doesn't want to get off the shot, so they'll let the shot clock expire, and then the losing team just holds the ball for the final five or six seconds, time goes away, and the game ends, and yada, yada. In this case, apparently, Altman told Brooks to shoot it. He does shoot it. Um, You can make the argument, if you want, that it's kind of showing Duke up. I didn't necessarily get that. It's also, let's, you know, Dylan Brooks is an amazing player, college player. He, He looked fantastic. Oregon looks so good. And you're playing Duke. This is definitely your moment where people uh, want to see what you could do. And they showed up in the best way possible. Now, the interesting facet, GP, is afterward we have conflicting stories here where um, Brooks you know, said that Krzyzewski told him that you're too good of a player to do that. And Brooks kind of owned it immediately. He was like, you know, he's right. I didn't need to necessarily do that kind of stuff. And Krzyzewski didn't necessarily agree with Brooks' side of the story. I, I think Krzyzewski might have been just kind of uh, protecting himself in that regard. I think he very much went up to Brooks afterward in the handshake line and said, you know, great game, but you didn't necessarily need to do that. Oh, well, let me, let me be clear. If you haven't seen the vi- – there's video that shows it pretty clear. 
leave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I, I don't know why Cade didn't tell the truth. Uh, Isn't know, it weird that he didn't? On that stage, but like he didn't tell the truth because the question was basically, what did you say to Dylan Brooks? And he said, I just congratulated him. Well, no, that's not just what you did. I mean, it's, 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 it's untrue. Now, we can... We can um, debate whether you had a reason to not be completely honest when asked that question, but there's no denying that he wasn't honest when he when he answered that question. He didn't he didn't you know he he didn't just congratulate the kid. He took he he said you're too good to act that way or something similar to that. Yes, um, I don't have an issue by the way with Shashevsky. Some people like listen, they're so ready to hate on anything Duke and Shashevsky does, and I get that. I actually don't have an issue with him going up to Brooks afterward and saying if that's, you know, basically what he said, Hey man, you know, you're too good of a player to do that kind of move. Um, if that's basically what it was and it wasn't, uh, that was really classless. I don't appreciate it. I don't think it was that whatsoever. I've got no problem with Krzyzewski saying that in a loss. Um, I understand why a lot of people would don't be coaching the other team's player, like yeah. whatever. Um, to me, it, it doesn't bother me that much. Uh, it is interesting how fast this shifted from being a Grayson Allen thing to a Mike Krzyzewski thing. Um, I did not expect that to turn so fast, but uh, yet here it has. And let's also remember that there's a decent chance this is the last game of Grayson Allen's college career. And so, you know, the tournament, the other side of it is a lot of guys, you know, they end their careers in college and it's not fun. You hate losing, especially on a big stage. And Oregon whooped Duke's butt. I mean, they looked fantastic, like a rightful number one seed. And so... Whatever. Grayson Allen doesn't want any part of Dylan Brooks as he's walking off the floor. I totally get it 100% and don't fault him whatsoever. This was GP. This was just going to be a thing because none of those games were close in the final five minutes. And um, it set up an amazing Saturday. But, you know, void of having actual discussion about the basketball games that played out, you knew it was just any small thing was going to pick up and be a storyline. Duke is the perfect storm. And so here we are. What about, and I think you and I are mostly on the same page here. Like I have no problem with, I mean, it is Mike Krzyzewski. He is somebody who um, teaches life lessons, at, at least in, in, you know, in the world of basketball uh, to not only college kids, but like LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. Like if Mike Krzyzewski can't, I, I can understand why he would uh, not only feel like he's able to, but also maybe feel obligated to, to share any sort of wisdom he can with young people, if only because he's the type of guy young people will actually listen to. Like, you know, if, um, I don't know, some mid-major coach from the Horizon League tried to talk to Dylan Brooks about how he acted, Dylan Brooks might look at him like he's crazy. But when Coach K talks to you, you listen. And so I, I don't have an issue with K here. I thought Dylan Brooks handled it beautifully. He didn't say, he didn't look at him like he was crazy or say, coach your own team or say, don't talk to me. He said, I'm sorry, coach. I'm sorry. And, and, and paid whatever respects you might pay, he he did. And then I don't even know if I have an issue with Grayson Allen because, like, what are you supposed to do? Celebrate with somebody who just right. sort of showboated in front of you? Like, uh, it, it's, you know, if Grayson Allen would have shoved him, then we got an issue, obviously. If Grayson Allen would have tripped him, we've got an issue. Uh, but Grayson Allen didn't really do anything except not play along with him, except uh, he fell to it. He, he decided, opted not to acknowledge him. So I don't really think anybody's obviously wrong here. But I will ask you this, if only because people have asked me this. If Coach K is going to uh, lecture people in, in a public setting, why not why not Grayson Allen for tripping people? Yeah, there's there's definitely room for criticism on that end. There's there's definitely no doubt about it. Um, I don't have an issue with anyone that wants to fire back with that, and it's perfectly appropriate to to have that kind of response. Um, I will say that the difference is I. I 
you know, what's Shostakovich going to do in a public forum? Like sit there and and blatantly talk to Grayson Allen on on the bench and kind of you know go after him, I, especially when that second trip you could argue wasn't even necessarily intentional. I don't know. You would have to assume that uh, Shostakovich definitely had to sit down with Grayson behind closed doors, whereas in this, like it just happened. It just happened. K got kicked out of the West region again. He can't win when they can put him in that bracket in the second weekend. And, um, you know, it, 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 Allen's ticked off, yeah. and Krzyzewski hates losing. And I think it was just uh, just kind of, you know, a spur of the moment, like, you're right here, it just happened kind of thing. I get it, but it's not exactly the same thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I thought it was an interesting moment. But typically when we have these moments, like it's Grayson Allen tripping a player. Let's figure out who's wrong. Or it's, or it's a, a coach yelling at a player in a, in a pretty uh, demonstrative way. Let's figure out who's wrong. Here, I don't know that anybody was really wrong. I just think it was an, inter- it was an interesting moment that happened at the end of the game. And because it involved Grayson Allen and because it involved Coach K, it was always going to get the attention. Like we talked about it on television last night, showed the replay, all that stuff. Um, but like if you're asking me, so all right, bottom line. Who's really wrong here? I don't know that anybody's uh, really wrong. I think it was just uh, just a thing that, uh, as you noted, became a bigger thing than it would have otherwise been because uh, with those blowouts last night, there was nothing else to talk about. Speaking of the blowouts, um, they were all impressive victories for the teams that won the games. And, man, I mean, you talk about setting up some Elite Eight matchups with uh, you know Villanova, Kansas, Oklahoma, Oregon. Like, it's a shame that this is the Elite Eight because all four of these teams are playing well enough to like win the national championship, it looks like. They can't, and only two of them are getting to the to the final four. Like I said, it's one versus two, one versus two. Um, and I guess, let me ask you this. Okay. Villanova wins last night, kills yep. Miami. Kansas handles Maryland easily. Oklahoma runs away from Texas A&M. Oregon uh, in the second half runs away from Duke. Who was the most impressive? Not, not, not who's the best team. Last night, you watch the games, you walk out of it going, oh, wow, that team's really rolling right now. I'm telling you, I'm still sticking with Villanova. It is Villanova. That's the right answer. It has to be Villanova for a number of reasons. Um, one, least importantly, is just the carryover effect. I'm telling you, given opponents and given the way Villanova has played from tip to horn, no team has looked as consistently great through three games as Villanova. Miami shot better than 50% GP. And got blown out. Like you can shoot, you can have one of those weird games where you shoot like 53% from the field, and you know what? It just doesn't go your way. You lose 79-74. It is a rarity, and I mean a true rarity, to shoot as well as Miami did and not even be in the game. You know, Villanova put up the most points per possession in one game in all of college basketball this season. Yep. It looked so good. And and you know what? Good for Villanova here. And I've been really on I've been on that train because I do believe it's one of the five best teams in the country, and I thought that it was uh, pretty much that throughout the year. I know it took a couple of, of of random losses, but they were against good teams, and I know the Oklahoma loss wasn't a good look at that time. But the fact of the matter is, like, this team is really, really good, and you could argue, if you wanted, because I'm actually I'm not as behind on UNC as a lot of people, you could argue that the uh, the South right now really has the two uh, teams that are playing the best basketball in the entire sport. And so in a certain way, that is a little unfair, but it is why we will probably get a great Elite Eight game on Saturday. But given the opponent, because Miami was good, long, athletic, veterans, they staged a nice little comeback after Villanova got hot. 
But to me, without a doubt, without a doubt, Villanova was the most impressive team on Thursday. And now they put themselves in a good spot because you either lose to the number one overall seed and the favorite to win the tournament, okay? Or you beat them, you get to the Final Four, and you totally eradicate all of the hate and the doubt and the mockery from the past couple of years. So it's basically, even though Villanova could lose and will be favored to lose, it's essentially a no-lose situation because you couldn't ask for a a better opportunity to do more when they play uh, in Louisville against Kansas on Saturday. For people who didn't catch uh, the note that you had, um, Villanova last night against Miami scored 1.60 points per possession. And nobody has done that in a game this entire college basketball season. I'm talking about um, uh, when Kansas is playing TCU. I'm talking about when North Carolina is playing Boston College. I'm talking about whatever big mismatches you're talking about. Nobody has been as impressive offensively in any game this season as Villanova was last night against Miami. And Laranaga, you know, sat on the stage last night and said... Um, hey, listen, I'm looking at our numbers and I'm going, we win that game. You know, if you just show me our numbers, like if you tell me before tip off, you, you're shooting this, you're shooting yep. this and you're shooting this, like we're fine. Yep. And like, not only were we not fine, we got ran off the court. Villanova shot 63% from the field, 66.7% from three. And Jay, I thought it was interesting last night in his post game press conference said, and it's funny because we talked about it on the podcast and I wrote about it at CBSSports.com. Jay said, you know, if you go back and look at our early games, particularly the game against Oklahoma, we were taking a lot of threes. We weren't making them. They weren't smart shots. And Villanova still is not a great three-point shooting team. Like, I, I want to say they shoot around 30, mid, like mid-30s yeah. uh, from the uh, from the three-point line. <clears throat> and when, But they shoot a whole bunch of them. But as this season has progressed, they've started shooting fewer three-pointers and started making more of them. And that's a good combination because they were always, even back if you go to the Oklahoma game, one of the best two-point shooting teams in America. So if you are one of the best two-point shooting teams in America and suddenly shooting the ball from beyond the arc better than anybody in America, well, that's how you get to scoring 1.6 points per possession in a game against Miami in the, in the Sweet 16. And so, um, listen, uh, I, I, you know, Kansas has been the best team in the country for a while and ranked accordingly. But, uh, man, I, mean, I, I think you're right. If you were trying to tab the two teams that are playing the best right now, not necessarily the two best teams, but the two teams that are playing better than anybody else right now, it might be the two teams uh, that are going to play Saturday with a trip to the Final Four on the line, Villanova uh, in, in Kansas. They are both uh, operating um, at an extremely hey, G- high G- level. Yeah, G- real quick on Kansas, I just wanted to, we don't have to make a thing out of this. I just think it's so funny. I get continual amusement. Out of college play, this happens every year, man. You get a number one or a number two seed that breaks through the to the second weekend or whatever. And Wayne Selden going, the media didn't have any belief or disrespect. Ah, God, I hate it when he does. I hate it. Um, when I do mean, that. they were Kansas was the largest favorite on the board to win last night. <laughs> where, did they, I, why, where, did, where did kids get this from? Like they always say, like, like it'll be like nobody believed in us, dude. You're the number one overall seed. Everybody believes in you. You're, you're, you're the favorite to win the national championship. Who doesn't believe in you? What are you talking about? Anything, anything to, what are we talking about what here? What are we even talking about here? Exactly. But you know what? Anything to get up for the game, I guess. And, you know, Maryland had obviously has some future pros. Um, I thought Maryland would keep it a little closer. Uh, but Kansas showed, you know, so many angles of its best uh, self, no pun intended there. And with the win, by the way, this is kind of 
perfect. It's 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 the four teams that should. So with Kansas's win, uh, them, Kentucky, Carolina, and Duke are the only schools in college basketball that have won at least 100 NCAA tournament games. You know, they are the. We did a poll last year. Those are the four most coveted jobs in the sport. So it only makes sense that those are the four most successful programs in tournament history. No, like I remember 2009 after the national championship game, Tyler Hansborough, like post game interview. He said, you know, we, we, we just wanted to prove all the doubters wrong. Nobody, nobody thought we could do this. I'm like, dude, you were preseason number one. Right. You were the number one overall seed in the tournament, and you were favored in every game you played in the NCAA tournament. Literally everybody thought you could do this. Everybody thought you could do this in October. Everybody thought you could do this in March. Everybody thought you could do this five hours ago. Like, what are you talking? Like, I don't, I'll never understand what, where they get this stuff from. Like, you know, like if, if, um, if Little Rock were playing last night, and right. they beat somebody in the Sweet 16, Chris Beard could stand up and say, you know, nobody thought we could do this. And I'd be like, you know what, Chris Beard, you're right. No, nobody thought you could do this. But but Kansas, Kansas, Kansas winning a game against Maryland, to the extent that anybody said anything, it was that, hey, Maryland does have a talented roster, and you always got to be careful when you're playing against a, a really talented roster, maybe four pros on it. But th- th- did anybody think Kansas couldn't beat Maryland? Like, what, like... Listen, uh, like I, I don't. I guess I was young once upon a time, and perhaps I invented ghost as well in my own life in whatever way I could have. But like, I, it always just I roll my eyes at it when when the the kids who are on the best team in America talking about the doubters and the haters. Like, the, know. Hey, let me help you going forward, Kansas. All right, you're getting ready to play Villanova, and as well as Villanova is playing right now, let me be very clear: we all think you can beat Villanova. We all think you can do the whole thing. We all think you can win a national championship. So, like, uh, you're not shocking anybody. You're not surprising the world. Um, you're the favorite to, do, to, to cut nets on the first Monday in April. Um, if you don't do it, that will be the surprise, uh, not the other way around. Let's talk about Oklahoma for a minute because we've already touched on Villanova, Kansas, and Oregon to an extent. Um, you know, Oklahoma is another team that's playing really well. Like, Buddy was good last night, 17-10. and 10. But, um, you know, Oklahoma made 11 three-pointers, but he only had two of them. And I think that's the thing that's gotten lost, not to you and I and people who watch this every day, but to the casual college basketball fan. Um, you know, Buddy gets so much attention, and he should. He's awesome. Um, but, you know, they don't need him to go get 30 to be really good. <laughs> you know, they, they, like, they can make 11 three-pointers, and he can only make two of them. They're fine. Like, they, they, they don't have other All-Americans surrounding him, but they've got really good pieces surrounding him, and... You know, a guy who I think is a Hall of Fame coach someday. Uh, I thought it was impressive for Oklahoma last night to handle A&M easily and handle A&M easily when Buddy wasn't even at his best. Yeah, this one, I didn't necessarily nail it, but I did think we, we talked about how we thought Oklahoma could win easily. That did happen. Um, and I, I didn't necessarily, I was kind of, I'd love to see Buddy kind of continue to go off. It would have been cool if, you know, if Oklahoma eventually makes the Final Four and every game Buddy you know, goes for 30 plus or whatever, but they don't need them to, which is something I've been harping on uh, here and there throughout the season, radio interviews and whatnot. It's, they're not just Buddy Heald. Like, I can't emphasize it enough. Um, they're, they're good on both ends of the ball. The way they defended last night showed how good they can be. And Texas A&M is no pushover, okay? I know it needed a miracle to come back and even get to this point, but it was a top 20 team basically almost the entire season here. And for them to have played that well on defense, and to get what they got out of uh, Cousins. And, you know, Jordan Woodard is a guy that's still capable of, of going off and having a really good game. And if you need 18 and 6 and 4 from him, he's capable of doing that kind of stuff. So if they can get that, 
And Spangler doesn't have his disappearing acts here and there. I think Latin is, you know what you're getting from him, but it's felt it's fairly reliable. Hey man, they're my pick to win it all. And I and I picked it largely I picked Oklahoma largely because I took a bit of a flyer on them having six consistently good offensive games because of what they've done. But also I just don't think that they're blowout material. I think that their defense will be good enough throughout. And I'm, I think it's cool that we get Oregon-Oklahoma in the Elite Eight because we got a little full circle action here. Oregon won the first national title in 1939. Who did they beat to get that title? Oklahoma in the title game. So Oregon's trying to actually reach its first Final Four since that year, which is bonkers. Um, should be a really fun game. I mean, that if, if both those teams play to their potential, that is a possibly fan-freaking-tastic, fantastic game. Um, and especially, you know, Dylan and Buddy could be trading buckets there. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. It, we, You know, I'm, I'm happy that we got two elite – because the right side of the bracket, GP, which I know we're going to get to these games in just a second, there's – you know, maybe we'll end up with Virginia and Carolina. Who knows? But we do have a little more uncertainty there. Here we get two one-versus-twos, and they both set up to be just fantastic matchups. Like, they can both be classics on Saturday – and history shows, I have a piece, by the time a lot of people are, are listening to this, I, um, I have a piece on the 15 best Elite Eight games since the turn of the century. And I was going to do a top 10 GP, but I couldn't. We are basically guaranteed every single year one downright amazing classic Elite Eight game. Just the numbers bear it out. I could have done a top 20, but I had to stop it at some point. So uh, expect it again. We will have at least one really, really good one. And, and another one that's, I'm, I'm sure, fantastic as well. And when you get one versus twos, you know, those usually line up uh, pretty perfectly. I love that all year long it was like, so the tournament's going to be crazy. The tournament's going to yeah. be unpredictable. And like half the bracket is one versus two, one versus two in the regional finals, which doesn't surprise me. I think I've, I've consistently said um, I wouldn't be surprised with by the time we get to the Elite Eight, the Final Four, we're looking at some familiar faces. And, uh, and so here we are. Before we go any further, let me remind you that if your bracket is already busted, and I'm certain it is, uh, you can start fresh with new picks and prizes each round at cbsports.com. Get involved in the bracket games. Prizes are available. And if you uh, don't have the CBS Sports app, you're being silly. And if you don't have a sports line subscription, you're not going to be able to get rich gambling. And who doesn't want to get rich gambling? So get involved at cbsports.com, sportsline.com, and with the CBS Sports app. Okay, let's look at tonight. First off, happy birthday to the great Tom Crean. Did you know it's Tom Crean's birthday? I did know it's Tom Green's birthday. Absolutely. This is lining up pers- uh, perfectly. You know what Tom Green's <laughs> going to get for his birthday, Norlander? He's going to get ladders of all shapes and sizes. I guess there's actually only one shape of a ladder, but yeah. uh, all sizes. Yeah. <laughs> there is there is probably only one shape of a ladder, uh, but there are, there are many, many sizes of a ladder, and uh, that is the marquee game, not only of tonight, uh, but I think of the Sweet 16. At least if we were trying to figure out the marquee game of the Sweet 16, um, before yesterday happened, um, it is Indiana, North Carolina. Uh, only Kentucky and UCLA have won more national titles uh, than these two schools that are playing tonight. It's the preseason number one um, against a team that was basically buried in early December. It's the ACC champs against the Big Ten champs. Um, can Indiana do it? Can Indiana upset North Carolina? Without a doubt, they can. Um, you know, we were mentioning uh, the picks and whatnot. So right now, 
Uh, you and I are neck and neck in terms of against the spread for the tournament. You're 34 and 22. I'm 35 and 21. People could check that out on. God, TV. I wish I were actually betting those games. Is Dude, it- we are making, we are printing money. Well, just it's- understand, not in real life, we're not. I know we are not. Um, I mean, I wish I were. I'm just only saying, difference I, tonight. I clearly don't take my own advice. <laughs> Our only difference tonight is I have Syracuse covering four and a half, and you have Gonzaga. So if uh, if you nail that, we'll be tied again. But we, what the point I'm making is we both have Indiana covering here because I think we both believe that Carolina, while good, can really show its bad self at, at plenty of times and has been inconsistent. Um, I I pick care. I'm picking Carolina to win. I think it should be fantastic. Now, with the way both teams play, this can definitely be a situation where Carolina just rips off a 14 to two run, and all of a sudden it's a 68 to 57 game with five minutes to go, and Indiana can't quite get back into it. That's definitely a scenario that I could see unfolding. But I'm telling you, Indiana has the offense to match Carolina. There's just it's it's in the it's in the, it's in the dudes. It's in the stats. They are they've been fantastic on offense all year. Um, the the best team when it when it comes to um, shooting the three and the two, they're the they're the best team with the combined percentages from two point and three point range in all college basketball. Can the defense be enough? That's what I want to see because I think Bryce Johnson is going to have another really really good game. He's been so awesome. He has a really good game every game. I know, and I, and I don't see that being stopped here. And, like, and why doesn't he get more consideration for Player of the Year stuff? Because he's a double double monster for a number one seed. Like that's usually the type of stuff that at least gets you in the conversation, and he's really never been in the conversation. Uh, because I think UNC just had too many pump fakes. Like he was starting to get there, and then they dropped consecutive road games against Louisville, and Notre Dame. Then they lost that heartbreaker to Duke. Um, then they couldn't beat Virginia. Like he and plus, you know, Buddy and Denzel were so good that it, him breaking through to that, like first team All American. Don't get me wrong, he's been awesome, and I, I'm 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 going to be in Chicago, so I'm going to watch this game on streaming. Um, I'll actually try. Actually, you know what? I'll probably miss the end of this game because this is the last game of the night. So unless uh, my Gonzaga uh, Syracuse game is an absolute blowout, I might end up not even uh, seeing this stuff live. But he he can have a huge game. I I, I do think that Indiana. It's got to beat UNC in all sorts of other ways. And Troy Williams has to show up big. Thomas Bryant probably needs to have a fantastic night, like an out-of-body experience night to have to give Indiana a real chance at, at winning with uh, any sort of conviction, as in, like, you know, going away with it. I pick Carolina. Indiana can definitely win. And, yes, this is the game more than any game in the Sweet 16 that I've most been looking forward to. Yeah, well, like, Indiana is – I don't think there's a way Indiana can win the game without shooting the ball really well from the perimeter. Like, they're going to have to, you know, it's going to have to be one of those deals where they, they bang home 12 three-pointers or something like that, right? Uh, the good news is that um, they're capable. You know, they shoot 42% from three-point range. That's top five in the country. So um, we don't need them to do anything there that, that's unrealistic for them, but they have to do that. I, I don't, They have to be able um, to trade threes for twos, uh, because I, 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 they can't match Carolina up front. I mean, they're too big, and there's too many of them. Um, but they, they can trade threes for twos. And in a 40-minute game, you can, you can beat somebody just by trading threes for twos. And so um, if you tell me Carolina's uh, – I mean, if you tell me Indiana's going to uh, shoot less than 40% from three-point range, I'll tell, yeah. you, I'll tell you they're not going to win. But if they can get above 40% and get into double digits in terms of numbers made – um, I, I could see them. Um, I could see them doing it, but that is the uh, the marquee game, the one I'm looking forward to most. Meantime, Virginia and Iowa State 
um, are also playing. That is the earliest game. It tips at 7.10 p.m. Eastern. It's on CBS. That's America's most watched network, Norlander. Yeah. Uh, Virginia's a six-point uh, favorite. And it's interesting. I had um, – we had Chris Holtman, uh, the Butler coach in studio with us last night, CBS Sports Network, and he and I were talking uh, both on the air and off. But uh, he said two things that I thought were interesting. One, Virginia's awesome. Like, you know, like uh, Butler, they took their best shot. You know, and and Virginia was able to to take it. Um, he, you know, he 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 thinks Virginia's coming out of this region. He thinks Virginia's unbelievable. But he, the other thing he also said, and this isn't unique to Chris. Like I've said this before. I think a lot of people have said this before. Um, the thing that maybe makes Virginia susceptible to an upset in in ways that another school wouldn't be is that you know they're literally ranked 351st in tempo. Like they, yes. they play slower than anybody else in the country. Anybody else. There are 351 Division One teams. Nobody plays at a slower tempo uh, than Virginia. And so, unless they're really making shots at a high, like at a high level, which they're capable of, they're not going to run away from you. You know, you're not going to look up and be down 22. You know, like and and you know, his thought was, listen, Virginia will beat Iowa State. I think I think that was his prediction, but. You know, you let a, a a team as talented offensively as Iowa State hang around with you, and like they can catch you. And to me, that's going to be an interesting dynamic with this game. Um, Virginia's better; everybody agrees. But Iowa State's one of the top five offensive teams in America. And though the cliche is defense wins championships, offense wins basketball games. And this one's intriguing to me because whereas Iowa State has been middle of the pack Big Twelve all year long. People were questioning Steve Prohm early. Um, Iowa State didn't live up to preseason expectations. That's why they were a four seed, say, rather than a two. But I won't be shocked if Iowa State wins this game. Not at all. Um, I'm thrilled to be able to cover this one in person. I'm coming to you live from my buddy's loft in the South Loop in Chicago with a gorgeous view of the Sears Tower, which I refuse to call the Willis Tower. And uh, Shout out to your buddy in Chicago. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout too. out to Devin Downey, too. And... This one is the biggest contrast in styles. Iowa State, I, I, I have Iowa State winning. I, I picked this matchup uh, before the tournament started. Iowa State to break through the Sweet 16 and then Iowa State to beat Virginia. Because I think Iowa State has the offense to do it. Virginia, as you mentioned, I mean, listen, this is going to be an interesting test here because Virginia can play so slow. And that pack line defense, I mean, it is just... It's a bitch. It's a, to solve it, to beat it, it's really, really hard. But I do believe that Iowa State has the pieces. And if they're going to play that slow, and this is going to be a 55-50 to 50 game, they, Iowa State has the firepower. All you need in situations like this, you get down to three minutes, GP. You get down to two minutes. If you can simply get a few big buckets on two or three straight possessions, which can be so hard against Virginia, but you know what? Sometimes this tournament can just provide these amazing dramatic moments. If you can do that... It's going to be enough. I think this will be the closest game tip to horn um, on Friday. I expect it to be very good. Wouldn't be shocked whatsoever if Virginia won. Obviously, they're the favorite. I just like Iowa State in this spot with what it has. I think Monty Morris is going to have a fantastic night. I really do. I like Nyang is the most important player, but Monty Morris, to me, on the whole, just, just does so much for that offense and will be so necessary tonight. Um I think he'll have a huge game, and I think Brogdon will too. I'm not entirely sure how we can possibly expect Iowa State to stop Malcolm Brogdon. I think that he will have a terrific night. Um, just really looking forward to this one, man. I, I do think this will be one where it, it – yeah, it's going to be slow, 
to a certain extent. And but Iowa State can go here. I, I don't know if it'll necessarily end in the fifties, but it should probably end in the sixties. Um, I take ISU. What about you? I think Virginia wins, but I think it's close, and it won't surprise me if Iowa State wins, right? So I guess I'm hedging my bets all over the place. But um, yeah. if I were actually betting on the game, I'll put it this way: I would take Iowa State plus the six. You, you gotta. I would take Iowa State plus the six, but I, I do think Virginia probably wins the game. I think Virginia's the better basketball team. But again, I, I, I feel like a uh, broken record sometimes. But I, I do think it's worth repeating. We're not we're not playing a seven game series. You know, mm-hmm. for the seven game series, give me Virginia in six. But a forty minute basketball game, eh, we'll see, right? Virginia, hey, Virginia this season has lost to a whole bunch of teams that are worse than Iowa State. Without it, without a doubt, and Iowa State has taken on. Iowa State basically has no bad losses, which is amazing. I mean, real quick, let me just tick them off and we'll move on to the next game. Northern Iowa, Oklahoma, Baylor, Texas, A&M, West Virginia, Texas Tech on the road in OT, Baylor on the road in OT, West Virginia, Kansas, Oklahoma. Yeah. So Iowa State's got this weird, like, their record is a little deceiving. They're 23-11, and 11, but they're really, really good. And they played in the toughest conference in the country, and they've gotten some good wins. They're definitely capable. I think some people are, are underestimating um how good Iowa State is my last thought on the game is if that does happen um you're gonna you're gonna hear Tony Bennett and Virginia getting some flack and it's just not it's not earned and it's not fair because Iowa State's so good on offense it's a really good team and Virginia objectively has had one of the four or five best programs in the sport over the past three seasons these one and done tournament situations they can just they can be a bear here so doesn't mean Tony Bennett's not a good coach. Doesn't mean Virginia doesn't understand basketball. Like Iowa State's really good. If they lose, it's not an on Bennett and his program whatsoever. Well, let me ask you this then, and I, I don't disagree because I've always thought it's silly to judge a program or a coach based on a the results of a single elimination tournament as a, uh, you know instead of say a four month season. But um, everything else is an indictment of everybody else. Like you know when Bill Self couldn't break through to the Final Four, it was like is, can Bill Self coach in the tournament or? Um, you know, when John Calipari couldn't win the big game, it was, can John Calipari win the big game? Like, if we use this event to make, uh, to draw grand conclusions about everybody else, if Tony's program, uh, once again, is bounced earlier than it should have been, is it not reasonable to, or, or you tell me, is, is that something, forget what we should say, who cares what we say, is that something Tony should look at? Okay, why is it that I have one of the best teams in the country, ACC champion 14, ACC champion 15, number one seed in 16, and yet I can't break through why. Is that not something worth exploring? I wouldn't say it's worth exploring yet because when you're able to get Washington State to a three seed and a four seed, when you've been a one seed or a two seed the past three years and you've rebuilt the Virginia program, the collective results over the courses of those seasons I think are still way too impressive to make you truly start second-guessing the nature of your philosophy on the court. What if somebody, um, what if somebody told you this? What if somebody said, hey, listen, yeah, you're always going to be able to get a one or a two seed because over a 35-game schedule or whatever it is, um, you're going to win uh, way more than you lose because you're awesome at coaching basketball. But um, when you get to the NCAA tournament, uh, the, the, the mission is simple. You have to win six straight. You have to win six straight games. You have to win four straight to get to the Final Four, six straight to win the whole thing. And because you play so slow, you allow inferior teams to hang around with you, and it makes you more susceptible to the upset that you've experienced um, year after year after year. Is that not a reasonable thing to say? It's, it's definitely reasonable. Um, Should I be Tony Bennett's consultant? That's what I'm asking you, Norlander. Answer yeah. the question. 
No, you should you sh- you should not. It's reasonable, and by the way, the criticism will be inevitable if Virginia doesn't win this game. Um, but I, I almost I can just see it coming. I feel like uh, Iowa State's not going to be given the proper credit if they pull this off because beating Virginia in this spot is a really tough thing to do. I will say the game's going to be at the United Center. I would I would have to think Iowa State's going to take over the building. I mean Gonzaga will have a deal, whatever. Like it, it's not going to have a massive contingent. Syracuse travels well. I think they'll be okay, but you know how much does the fan base buy in, knowing that that you know getting out of the region is just a, such a super tough ask. And uh, and Virginia will probably be well represented too, but Iowa State's the closest uh, school to the to the site, and the fan base travels so well. I think that will also be an element at play here tonight. Yeah, Gonzaga Syracuse. You mentioned it's the late game at United Center. Gonzaga Syracuse double digit seeds, both of them. It means that we're going to have a double digit seed in the Elite Eight for the first time since 2014. That's when Archie Miller Dayton Flyers uh, lost uh, to the top seed of Florida Gators inside FedEx Forum in beautiful downtown Memphis, Tennessee. Um, what do you make of this one? Gonzaga, Syracuse. I think, I think Gonzaga is the better team, but I've picked yeah. against Syracuse every time. I've been wrong every time. So what do I know? I'll let you handle this. Yeah, no, I'm going to I'm gonna pick against Syracuse again here. My buddy that I'm staying with actually is a Syracuse fan, attended Syracuse. I've known him since uh, since he was in college there. So he's going to the game, and he he thinks he's, and he's actually a pretty pragmatic dude. But he thinks Syracuse is coming out of this region, and I'm like, you're – you're out of your mind, dude. I think Gonzaga wins this one. I think this is the worst game of the night. I'll take Gonzaga. Give me him by 12 points. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, I Listen, here's the the funky thing with this Gonzaga team is, uh, and people mentioned how, you know, the preseason, you look at the polls and everyone that made the Sweet 16, and a lot of it was, you know, to be expected and, and all that. Gonzaga was, was there. I mean, they were a preseason top 15 team. Um, they didn't win the games they needed to win in the regular season, but here they are. They play well as a double-digit seed. I mean, they're... What like eleven and six as a as a double digit seed in the tournament under Mark Few, which is which is crazy. Um, how they basically exceed seed expectation, but when they're in that one, two, three, four, five spot on the seed line, they can tend to play a little more, uh, a little tighter, and not uh, and not perform as well. I love Sabonis here. Um, I I basically expect Gonzaga to shoot out of the Syracuse zone and have a big night in that regard. Uh, we'll see. I could be wrong. Here's the but... thing. Let me stop you there because everybody always – like nobody shoots well against Syracuse's zone though. Why do people always think like, oh, they're going to exploit Syracuse's zone? It's from tough. I know. It's, nobody, it's... But nobody ever does. Like, you realize Syracuse is – I think – let me look it up. I don't want to be wrong. Well, I mean they, like, people do though. Like it, it does happen. I mean St. John's put up 84 points on Syracuse this year. Yeah, so but, it, that's, but that's the Red Storm, Norlander. You can't expect everybody to come in and perform like the Red Storm. No, actually you can. <laughs> that's the Red Storm. They have not listen. It is long. It is tough. Um, Gabinajay is is, is a terrific. He's kind of like the prototype that you want within this zone. Um, but it's not an elite defensive team, and there have been plenty of teams that have easily cracked seventy plus on Syracuse this year. I just don't see why Gonzaga can't do that as well, given how good it, Wilcher can shoot. Saponis down low presents a nice uh, contrast to that. Uh, Perkins is able to shoot decently from three. So I, I, I expect, you know, Drake Guinness, will he, will he end up being like the random X factor? Is Drake Guinness going to hit three big threes in the second half that helps Gonzaga pull away? I just think this will be a comfortable Gonzaga win and, you know, watch me be wrong against Syracuse. And by the way, I got no issues with Syracuse making the Elite Eight and Jim Beheim going, 
going on the FU tour after all that's happened, it would make for a very compelling storyline. Yeah, uh, opponents shoot 30.4% from beyond the arc against Syracuse. That ranks 11th in the country. So my, my larger, listen, I, of course Gonzaga can go out and, and, and scorch them from out there. But uh, my point is people, every time, it, it, it seems like every time Syracuse gets ready to play a high-profile game against a team that shoots it well, shoots it well from the perimeter. People say, "Ooh, that zone's gonna." No, they, like people don't shoot well. I think that's one of the misconceptions about Syracuse's zone. People do not shoot well against it from the perimeter. Not, not in general. Some teams can, like the Red Storm, bless their hearts, but um, but most teams don't. That's my only thing. That's it. I say, but you and I are on the same page. I think Gonzaga wins the game as well. And then the the other game that we haven't mentioned. Uh, probably because it's the uh, uh, least in. I, I don't. Hey, dude, this is this is gonna be the best game of the night. These teams cannot not have amazing finishes in the tournament. Like Ooh. they keep having ridiculous, dramatic endings. So I'm expecting this to be triple overtime. Notre Dame, Wisconsin. Let me put. I guess I would say describe it this way. Maybe the least glamorous game there is. Sure. Least glamorous game there is. Except there's a great story that's gonna emerge either way. Um, if Notre Dame wins, Mike Bray's in the Elite Eight for, what, the second straight year? And, yep. like, has really made Notre Dame into a consistent, you know, high-level college basketball program, even if it doesn't get as much attention as, say, Duke, Carolina, Louisville, Syracuse, Virginia, other teams in its own league. And then on the other side, my God, Greg Gard had never coached a game in his life back in mid-December, and he lost four of the first six games he ever coached in his life. And now, if he wins tonight... It will be his 16th win of his career, and he'll be in the Elite Eight. Like, men coached for decades, shout out to Oliver Purnell, without ever getting a single win in the NCAA tournament, much less go into the Elite Eight. And Greg Gard's on his way to the Elite Eight. Um, and our buddy, Nicole Auerbach, detailed, like, what he went through with the loss of his father. And I really do think um, that although this season has been about Buddy and Denzel and about Ben Simmons' disappointment and Kentucky's uh, up and downs, um, there's a scenario under which the biggest story heading into the Final Four, and I don't think this will be the case, I'm just saying there's a scenario where the biggest story heading into the Final Four is Greg Gard. Like, if they get two more wins, the biggest story heading into the Final Four might be Greg Gard. Yeah. He's not even like a first-year coach like uh, Matt McCall is a first-year coach. Like, this dude was started the season as an assistant coach, and now he's a win away in what is essentially a toss-up game um, from the Elite Eight. He's a win away from being a win away from the final four it it is a remarkable turn of events it is bonkers um because guard is also he's like college basketball fan wisconsin fans know who he is but his story i still feel hasn't hit the the mainstream yet and for him to have been such a, a dedicated longtime assistant kind of quietly in the wings helping bo ryan build that empire at the d3 level and then with wisconsin and just consistency um, it's, it, it, honestly, it is a testament to what Bo did, like guards his own guy. He's a really good coach and he had a lot of people in the profession stumping for him, rightfully so to get that full-time gig with Wisconsin. And he has it shout out to the reporter who asked him if he was going to get a full-time. Did you see that? GP? Yes. What are we doing? Uh, brutal. Um, like, but, listen, uh, how about this? And this is always my thing. If you don't know what you're talking about, just shut up and let other people ask the questions. Like you're not obligated to ask a question. Like, just because you're a reporter, you don't have to ask anything. Like, if you don't know what you're talking about, just shut up and let the people who know what they're talking about ask the questions. Right. And then this clown shows up at the Greg Gard press conference and talks about, hey, do you want to uh, get the job full-time? He's like, I got the job full-time. What are we What are we even talking about here? 
I think that was his exact quote. Uh, it will be a good story either way. Chris Christie obviously will be in the building, so expect that to be a thing on your Twitter feeds if, you, if you're on Twitter uh, because he has been friends with Bray for more than two decades. Either one's a good story. GP, I go Notre Dame here. Um, I do expect it to be a pretty decent game overall, and it would be too funny if they ended up like if it ended on a buzzer beater just with with Wisconsin and what it's done. Like it played true tremendous games against Kentucky and had two amazing games against Arizona in recent tournaments, and then obviously Koenig's killer from the corner that knocked out Xavier last weekend. Um, I like Notre Dame, not comfortably, but uh, maybe deciding in the final two or three minutes overall. But either way, really cool story because especially for Notre Dame which lost Jaron Grant and lost Pat Connaughton, a couple of NBA picks there. I understand it brought back Demetrius Jackson, an NBA pick. Zach August, who's been one of the most well-rounded uh, forward-center combo dudes in the, in the sport. Um, but they, no one expected Notre Dame to be, I think, this good as it was this season. And Mike Bray, man, he is um, he's one heck of a coach. And making up for, let's acknowledge the fact that he had a lot of seasons where Notre Dame was good, it would have big wins, and then it would just kind of fall on its face in the tournament, couldn't break through to the Sweet 16. And now, in, in even just getting to back-to-back Sweet 16s for the first time in program history since the tournament expanded to 64 teams, he's making up for that. And rightfully so, because he's a really, really good coach. Yeah, he's, uh, he's done a terrific job. Again, like, go look at the Wikipedia page, year-by-year results. Like, Mike Bray is, um, is, you know, and he doesn't get the attention he probably deserves because they haven't broken through to a Final Four. But I will say this, and I've talked to many coaches about this over the years, if you just keep Putting yourself in a position, eventually the bracket opens up for you. Eventually you get there. And and perhaps this is that year for Mike Bray. Like, you know, he's playing a team that started one and four in the Big Ten for an opportunity to go uh, to the Elite Eight. So uh, that's the rundown for tonight, uh, four games. Fingers crossed they'll be more competitive than Thursday night's games were. That's all I ask, Norland. I don't ask for much. I just asked for some competitive basketball games. I think when we talk on Monday, when Sam gets back on this podcast, I think we're going to be discussing at least two or three really, really good games between tonight, Saturday, and Sunday. I just think it's inevitable. But let's just, as we wrap up the pod here, so I've got Nova, Oklahoma. I'm, call me nuts, but let's just let's, let's get nuts. I will say Notre Dame is in Houston, and I will say Iowa State. So those are my four as of uh, 1230 Eastern here on Friday. What is your final four prediction? Um, Kansas, Oklahoma, North Carolina, and Virginia. And if you want to be boring, that's fine. But hey, you're boring, Norlander. You're the one. You're the one. Looking, I'm, I'm, picking Notre Dame ain't boring, my man. You're the one looking at the Sears Tower like a nerd. Are you sure? Are you sure that's nerdy, man? This view is insane. I'm gonna I'm gonna snap an Insta an, an Instagram here, and uh, you can you can give a t- double click there. I've got a view of Central Park, Norlander. You're not gonna impress me with your stupid Chicago view. I'm staring at Central Park right now. True fact: uh, Chicago is better than New York City. But you know, what? why would you say that out loud? Why would you say that out loud? I go into New York City like 30 times a year. I'm practically an auxiliary resident. I'm allowed to say it. All right, Norlander. I'll let I'll let my fellow New Yorkers take that up with you. Okay, sounds good. All right, hey, I got to go, all right? I've had enough of this. All right, I miss you, buddy. I'll talk to you on Monday. All right, go enjoy your games and subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast at iTunes. That's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest episodes. You do that. Enjoy the weekend. We will talk to you again uh, Monday morning. Until then, take care.